Alrighty, so welcome back to Coffee and Conversations. It's been a long, long time. We took a break, like, in for Christmas and for Thanksgiving and just, like, that whole season. So it's been a long time. It's been, like, almost two months, I think. Um, so welcome back. We're going to just dive back into where we left off, which is the Sermon on the Mount, so Matthew 5. Um, and I'm, like, so excited. I think, like, breaks are really good because they get you fired up again. And every Saturday morning, I've just, like, really missed you guys and missed teaching and missed, like, just being together and learning more about God's Word. Um, so I hope that you're excited as I am. I know Andrew's excited because she screamed, like, four times this morning. Um, so, yes, we're diving back into the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and just a little refresher because it's been so long. Um, who can explain what the Sermon on the Mount is? Yes, it's Jesus's longest recorded sermon, and he preaches it on a mountaintop, and there's lots of people listening, and who is he, like, preaching to? Like, who is this for? It's for anyone that chooses to follow him. So, in the Sermon on the Mount, we see what Jesus, like, basically what he wants his followers to live like. So it's a sermon directly for those who have put their faith in Jesus. So it's not a lot of like, um, this is how you get saved. Jesus talks about that in other areas of the gospel, but this sermon specifically is what does it look like after you're saved? How should your life change? Where should your heart be? How should you live your life? How should you talk? How should, how should you act? Um, all these different things. It's Jesus's new laws for the people that are going to follow him because we're moving from the old covenant to the new covenant because of who Jesus is. Um, so it's a really important sermon because it kind of rings in this new, um, not a new age, but this new transition that Jesus brings where we're no longer bound to the laws of the old covenant in the old Testament, but rather if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you're saved from your sin. You don't have to prove yourself. You don't have to abide by all these laws. You just have to trust in Jesus and walk with him and abide with him. And then all this fruit, which he talks about, will come out of you. Um, so before we took a break, we covered all the Beatitudes and it took really, really long because we took it one at a time. Um, so what are the Beatitudes? How would you describe the Beatitudes to someone who doesn't know what they are? Yes, a list of qualities, and they all build upon one another, right? So the first one is being poor in spirit, which is like the qualification for following Jesus, right? We have to recognize that we are poor in spirit, so we're spiritually depraved. We can do nothing good on our own. Um, and when you recognize that you're poor in spirit, you look to Christ as your Savior, and you are saved from your sin, and then you inherit the kingdom of heaven. And the kingdom of heaven, I'll like Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven a lot in his sermon, and then I'll keep saying kingdom of heaven. And that just like refers to anyone who has placed their faith in Jesus. So we want to build the kingdom, so we want to make more people come into the kingdom. Um, but that's what the kingdom of heaven means. So, um, And then the kingdom of heaven endures forever, right? We're going to be in heaven one day with the Lord because we've placed our faith in Jesus, and the kingdom of heaven will endure forever while this earth will pass away. Um, so yeah, that's a little review. Um, so just as the Beatitudes build upon one another, because you can't be poor in spirit um, without being all the rest of the things, this next section that we're going to dive into, it builds upon the Beatitudes. And you'll see, like, as we go through this around the mount, that's how the entire sermon is laid out. It all builds upon one another another. Um, so today we're reading through a really common passage. Um, I feel like I've read it a million times, but just because you've read it a million times doesn't mean it's not important. It doesn't mean that it won't still sink deep into your heart if you let it. Um, so to get us started, I have a few questions. 
Um, have you guys ever felt like you're living among darkness? Like maybe just the sin of the world or the people that you surround yourself with? Does it ever just feel really dark? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, like at school or work or just when you're in a really bad situation. What areas do you guys find yourselves in that are just like very dark? I think like whenever I'm surrounded by like things that may like kind of convince me that like God isn't actually like there for me or Mm. he's not actually like real um, or just like whenever like you're surrounded by sin or something and Mm. it kind of like deprives you a lot. Yeah. Yeah, because sin is darkness. So, like, when you're surrounded by a lot of sin, it feels like darkness. Yeah. Why do, why do like, those areas that, like, why do they feel, like, dark? Go. Yeah. I think ultimately they feel dark because it's not really what God intended for, yeah. the, for the earth to actually be like. Mm. I know, like, for me, a lot of times, like, even if it's just listening to the news, like, mm. listening to the news, just with everything that's going on in the world, it feels heavy. And yeah, yeah, because it's, like, not God's design for it. Right. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Are you going to say, Andrea? There's also, so, in places like that, there's also usually not a lot of Christians. Yeah. There's not a lot of other people who are trying to be, we're going to talk about, trying to be salt and light. Yeah. So, you know, if you're the one little tiny candle that's trying to light up a whole entire sanctuary, mm-hmm. it's really hard. It's going to seem really dark for you. Yeah. 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 I would agree with both of those things. The darkest places usually have the least amount of people that know God, right? So, like, I think of you guys at school, that you go to, like, a public school where hardly anyone knows the Lord. It's going to feel really dark because there's not a lot of candles and there's not a lot of light. Um, And you go and you look on the news and you look at all the destruction in the world. It's going to feel very dark because there's not a lot of good happening. Um, So God is everywhere, but where God's people are is like the tangible evidence that God is real and God is light. So when God and God lives inside of his people, and so that's why we're supposed to shine. Um, So let's go ahead and read Matthew 5, 13 through 16 together. Um, can I have someone just read that little section for us? Just those three verses. Thank you, Maddie. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt shall lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather a lamp stand and gives it light for, and gives and it gives light for all who are in the house. But in, in the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Awesome. Thanks, Maddie. Um, so if you have read through the Gospels before, and if you um, have studied any of like, Jesus' life, you know that Jesus loves metaphors. He uses them all the time. He's like, I am the bread of life. I am living water. Um, he calls like the Pharisees whitewashed tombs. He loves metaphors because he wants uh, like, those metaphors to stick in our mind. So anytime you see water, you think Jesus is the living water. Or anytime you see bread, you say oh, Jesus is my bread, like he satisfies me, he sustains me. Um, So Jesus, in this teaching, he uses metaphors to illustrate his point. Um, So he uses two metaphors, salt and light. Um, So what do you guys, what do you guys use salt for? What? Seasoning. Seasoning? That's like all they have for seasoning at this time. Yeah. It's 
Yeah. And they also use like to preserve stuff. Hmm. Yeah. So it's like seasoning, it's flavor. Um, and so, I mean, today we use salt just for flavor. So I have started making bread, as some of you guys know. And oh, I think it's Catherine. Hello, Catherine. Um, so I've started making bread, which is like. I know, like, cliche wife of me. But I like to think that if even if I wasn't <laughs> newly married, I would still like to make bread. But anyway, I, um, I started making bread, and a few weeks ago, I made a loaf, and I completely forgot to add in the salt. And it was just two teaspoons of salt, which is, like, hardly any salt, right? And then when it came out, I was, like, so excited, so hungry, and I took a bite, and it was absolutely disgusting. It had no flavor. It was just, like, this mound of dough that was, like, so gross. And I felt bad throwing it away, so I just, like, put it like in the pantry and like two days later it had mold all over it and it was just useless it was just a useless piece of loaf and it was just crazy that just two teaspoons of salt could like change the flavor so much and make it like leaving those two teaspoons out made it completely useless like that bread was no good to anybody no one was going to eat it unless they were like maybe starving um so i think of like jesus using like saying that you are the salt of the earth um, and thinking back to like what Julia said, how they used salt during that time, it was like the only flavor. Um, so it's like what flavored their food and then also preserved things. They didn't have like deep freezers. So they would preserve their meat or any perishable food in salt and it would keep it for longer, which is why my bread became quick, quickly moldy because there's no salt in it. Um, they also used it to purify things. So they would clean things with salt. And then like anytime they got a cut or a wound, they would like, like, clean it out with salt um which we kind of do today like if you get a cut sometimes like it's good to like wash it with salt water because like cleanses it out um so it's like all these different uses for salt so why do you think jesus says to his followers you are the salt of the earth because in their minds they're thinking of all the things they use salt for so why would he choose salt Yes. Whether it's, they taste good, whether they're cleaner, whether they can last longer because they're preserved, it, mm. it makes them different. Yeah, it makes them different. It makes them taste better. And they're all like positive things too. It's not like mm. they're like bringing other people down as like a part of salt, you know? Yeah. Like it's all like positive things. Mm. <coughs> yeah. yeah, all the uses for salt for them was like good. Like hand yeah 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 all the uses for salt for them was good so when they heard jesus say you are the salt of the earth in their mind they're thinking okay so i preserve the earth i give flavor to the earth i clean the earth i like you know and they're thinking through all these things um and those who know jesus as their savior their life looks radically different than those who don't right and so the world is decaying it's passing away it's full of sin and darkness um, but those who know jesus are part of the kingdom of god which is forever and ever and never perishes and never fades so therefore they are little grains of salt in a decaying world that give flavor that give hope that show that there's something greater than what is here um, and that there's there's a plan for salvation and so those who follow jesus know that when they're displaying the beatitudes they stand out they're the salt in the loaf that makes it really good um, even if it's just a small amount. Um, so, um, so yeah, like I said, the world is decaying, but those who follow Jesus are salt that preserves it. Um, so when we are living differently than the people around us that don't know the Lord, how are we preserving the earth? When we're living differently 
than the people around us? How are we preserving, like, the earth? Or, like, what does it look like to live your life in a way that preserves? I don't know if that question makes sense. I was thinking about it this week. But... I mean, the flood happened hmm. because there was no salt of the earth, right? It was only Noah and his family that were the salt, and it wasn't yeah. enough. So... Being salt. It's not that we're preventing other is not the true love and we know the true love so we're like by living out true love we're preserving that love where if like we weren't here like fake love or a false love which is actually just like selfish and darkness would take over it might even just be preserving the truth in general hmm. because if Christians yeah. weren't here why would we need the bible right it could just disappear yeah yeah we're preserving the truth we're carrying out the gospel and so like even though the world is passing away we're like giving like an opportunity to those around us to become salt and last forever as well. Um, so I'm going to read this passage real fast. It is 1 John um, 2, 15 through 17. Uh, all right. Uh, John says, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Um, So Jesus says something kind of scary when you really think about it um, in John John 5, 13, and in the Sermon on the Mount. He says that if salt loses its taste... It can't be restored. It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Um, so if you think about it, if Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, and then like you look at the next part of what he said, but if you aren't the salt of the earth, he's basically saying like you're worthless, like you're not doing any help to the kingdom. Um, so what does it look like as Christians to lose our saltiness? Yeah, kind of becoming numb and going with the flow of everything. Yeah. Yeah. What else does it look like for us to lose our saltiness? Lose our flavor? You look like the world. Mm. Someone looking at you in a non-Christian in a setting would see no difference. Mm. Would see no difference in action, in words, even in like the way that you dress and the way you carry yourself. Yeah. And the way you speak to and about other people. There's no difference. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's scary if you compare your life to someone who doesn't know the Lord and you don't really see any difference. And if they don't really see any difference, like that's scary. And Jesus says if you're living that way, if you're blending in, if you've lost your saltiness or if you don't have any salt, saltiness at all, no flavor, then you're not good for the kingdom. Like you're just you're just dead weight. And that's a scary thought. A lot of people argue that it, well, it's it's a hard thing. Like 
Hmm. God knows my heart. You know, it doesn't really matter if I look the same. Yeah. All over the Bible, we see proof that it does matter. Hmm. You're supposed to look different. You're not supposed to look the same. Hmm. You're not supposed to be what the other girls around you are. Yeah. You're supposed to be different. And so, while it's not good to judge a Christian based on what you can see, Hmm. there's something to be said about what you can see. Right. You have to be able to see the right thing. And if you're not showing the right things, no one's going to know. Right. No one knows your heart. No one can see your heart the way the Lord does. You're not in heaven yet. Hmm. So the people on earth need to see what you stand for. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think of the passage I just read in First John, um, that those who love the world are going to blend right in. So if you find yourself loving the things of the world, then you've lost your saltiness or you've lost your flavor. But it says that those that don't love the world know that it's passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And the will of God is so much harder to do than to do the will of the world. Like, so much harder, um, but it's always worth it, always worth it, because in the end, it's not going to matter if you blend it in with your friends. It's going to matter if you follow the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Um, so being salt is not easy. Like, I think that sometimes it's nice to say, like, oh, I want to be salt and I want to be light. It's not trendy to be salt. It's not trendy to be light. Um, in fact, most people are not going to like you for it, um, but God tells us to do it anyway. Um, so yeah, we can lose our saltiness pretty easily. Um, and going off what um, Andrea said about, because um, it is our, like Christianity is not all about works, right? We're not always trying to do good works, like prove our salvation. But there is something to be said in the fact that when you have a heart change, the outside changes too. And so like when we understand the grace and the mercy of God, it changes the way we do everything. It changes the way we live. It changes the way we talk. It changes everything about us. Um, and I think James 1.19 really says it well. Um, we just finished studying James at Village, um, so you guys might recognize this verse. Um, oh, I guess James one twenty two. He says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone who is a hearer of the word and is not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. But the one who looks at the, into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer, but who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in doing um so james is basically saying like your faith is also doing like it doesn't it doesn't save you jesus saves you but if you don't do what you hear then you're just like a man who looks at himself in the mirror and then walks away and forgets like what he looks like um so those who live different than differently than the world it's it's going to be hard but it's also the best thing that you can do um, so that's the first metaphor that Jesus uses. He says, you are the salt of the earth. So you're supposed to stand out, give flavor, preserve, um, just be different. Um, which leads us to the next metaphor that Jesus uses. He uses the metaphor of light. So you are the light of the world. Um, and then he uses two other metaphors within this metaphor to illustrate the first metaphor. So Jesus loves metaphors, guys. Um, he's all about them. So the first metaphor that he uses is a city set on a hill. So back then they didn't have any like street lamps or lights in their houses or light bulbs or anything. 
And so when you would travel um, at night, you would have to always have some sort of lantern with you with like fire inside of it, or you'd have to build your own fire in order to see anything. And there were some like valleys um, that if you would go through them in the middle of the night with no light, you wouldn't even be able to see your hand in front of you. So like when I was reading through the commentary and it was describing the darkness, my mind like went to the middle school room upstairs when you play sardines <laughs> and like how dark it is. Like it's terrifying to be in that room during sardines because you literally, you can't even see your hand in front of you and you have no idea what's around you. And it's just like, you're panicked. And then the light comes on and then you see like all the people hiding in weird ways. And you're yeah. like, what is going on? <laughs> um, um, but at this time, if you were traveling like from town to town and you didn't have any light on you, you could not see anything. Um, but if in like a few mile radius, if there was a city on a hill, it would it would give the light from that city, all the lamps in that city would cast light into the deepest, darkest valleys around them. Um, so Jesus, when he says a city on a hill, he's wanting them to think of like in the middle of the night when there's darkness all around um the only light that can be seen is the city that is on a hill and you literally can't hide it um so why would jesus use this metaphor of a city on a hill why what do you think was his intention Because we're supposed to be light. And when we are shining, even if we're the only one shining, it's supposed to flood the area that we're in. Even the deepest and darkest of valleys, you can see even just a little bit if within like five miles there's a city that is set on a hill. Um, so if we are living, even if we're the only Christian at our workplace or the only Christian at school, we feel like, um, even if it doesn't feel like we're being a light, we are a city on a hill. And the people around us that are living in darkness, they can, they can tell or they should tell that there's something different about us because God is light and if God is inside of us, he should be shining through very clearly. Um, and yeah, and he says the city on a hill cannot be hidden. So we shouldn't want to hide. It should just be on display for all to see. Um, which is why Jesus also uses, um, a lamp in a household. So if you, uh, you also have to put yourself in the shoes of the people during that time, because they didn't have like a light bulb, light switch. We have like light switches we turn on and it's like super easy, but at night, if they didn't have like a lamp, they would not be able to see at all. And so if they had a lamp in their house, they would put it on top of a pedestal so that it would give light to the entire house so that everyone could see. Um, so why, why do you think Jesus said, put your lamp on a pedestal? Like, why would he say that? I think he's like basically just showing how like important it is to do it. Like how mm. you said, um, like they put the lamp like on a pedestal so like it could give light to like the most places and how like important light was mm. back then. Just because it was so dark. So I think he's just like kind of saying like how important it is like to actually like be a light. Yeah. Like it's not going to be like for no reason if we do it. It's mm. not going to be um, in vain, I think is what he's basically saying. Yeah. Even though it probably will feel like it. Lot, yeah. yeah. It feels like it's pointless, but yeah. it's not. Yeah. And if you put it up on a pedestal, you're intentionally shining your light. It's mm-hmm. not like you're like, oh, let me keep my light to myself. It's mm-hmm. like, no, I'm intentionally like showing people that I'm being a light. I'm intentionally showing the Lord. Um, and Jesus is like, it would be stupid of you to hide your light because then you wouldn't be able to see. And that would be so dumb. Um, but when do you guys find it tempting to want to hide your light? When it's the only one. Yeah. <laughs> or when you feel like you're the only one. Yeah. Oh, I'm good. I'll just sit quietly and say nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. When you feel like the only lamp in the room full full of darkness, it's like I don't want to shine. I'll keep it to myself. Yeah. Yeah. When else do you guys find it tempting to, or hard to shine your light? Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> you're like exhausted, or there's a lot going on, or there's just wave after wave of really hard things happening. It's, yeah. It's hard to be light and yeah. beautiful mm-hmm. when stuff is heavy. Yeah. Yeah, really hard. And like maybe you failed one day at being a light, and like you said something you shouldn't have said, or you were mean, or you just failed. And then it's a lot harder the next day to be like, okay, time to be the light. <laughs> At least for me, I get sucked in very easily to just being lazy and getting caught up in the things I've done wrong. Um, something that's really pretty about... Sorry. No, go ahead. Um, it's really nice about this metaphor, the light of the world. A town, on a, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, it's impossible... To ignore light in a dark room, hmm. you can. I can ignore you right now. Look over here. I can. I can ignore plenty of things, right? Yeah. It is impossible to ignore light in hmm. a dark room. So, two things: the people who are the darkness around you will be unable to ignore hmm. you. Yeah. Whether it's because they think you're annoying because you're so dim- whatever it is, they will not be able to ignore it, and it will just be constantly in their mind. Like, hmm. What? Is, what is this? Right. The other thing is that if you are the only light, you can't be ignored, hmm. right? If you're doing all the things right, the light's not going to go out. Hmm. If you're not going to be hidden, you're not, you're not, I'm not saying it correctly, but do you know what I'm trying uh-huh. to say? Yeah. Like it, it's impossible to just be, you know, shoved aside if yeah. you're doing all the right things. Which is kind of scary, because... I'm like, I don't want people to notice me. <laughs> I don't want to walk into a room and be the light sometimes. I just want to, like, hide away. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, but if we're living, if we, especially, like, I think that I, I've been, I'm i reading through, like, Exodus right now, and I'm to the part where Moses just had, like, a time with the Lord and, like, saw the back of God, and then he comes back from that, and people can't even look at him because he spent time with the Lord, because his face is, like, so bright, and so I, like, think of, like, when I spend time with the Lord in the morning, I'm, like, man, I really hope that, like, like, this helps my light somehow, like, people can tell that I have fellowship with the Lord, I don't know, I think, like, when you spend time with, like, with the Lord, it just, it shines light off of you, even if you don't realize it, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know, I, I read this, and I think the people that look at me, and they're, like, it is impossible for them to ignore that what I'm doing is right, what I'm doing is visible, what I'm doing is good, it's mm. clean, it's pure, whatever, whatever positive thing you want to say, they can't ignore mm. that that's what it is. Yeah. You know? And yeah. that's comforting because that's just one of those things that the Lord takes care of. And, you know, if you've been hurt by somebody, then mm. the Lord's taking care of that as long as you're doing what you're supposed to as a Christian. Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. maybe a little bit of a tangent. No, not a tangent. It was, it was really good. Yeah, it is very hard to always shine your light. But I think that God is really faithful to um, also shine through us when we don't even realize it. I think sometimes, like, in my life, people will, like, say something 
to me like hey what like you said this and like it encouraged me and I was like what I don't remember saying that like I think that the Lord is like very he's he works in amazing ways and sometimes he doesn't allow us to see maybe how we're being a light we just have to trust him and work really hard to try to be a light anyway but yeah I think that he's he's the light and he's the one that's also working through us even when we feel really weak yeah. Like, <laughs> the light of God in you is going to be so good that whatever you do cannot mess it up. Yeah. Which is, I don't know, comforting. Yes. Yep, me too. <laughs> um, that is, he. it's Exodus 33, I believe, that he, like, sees the back of God. And then Exodus 34, 35 is when, like, the people are like, why? Don't look at us, Moses. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah, that's what I read this morning. He, The Lord, like, puts him in the cleft of a rock and then puts his hand over the rock so that he can, like, pass by without killing Moses because of his holiness. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's amazing. <laughs> but, yeah, I'm, I'm, like, in love with Exodus right now, if you guys can't tell. I talk about it all the time. And Exodus study on Tuesday nights for any... Yeah, for anyone that's graduated from high school. At my place. Um, all right, so I'm going to read from Ephesians 5 real fast. Um, Ephesians, Ephesians 5, 8 through 11 um, says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. I kind of read a little farther. Um, I love this passage because it ties in perfectly to what Jesus is saying. Um, At one time we were in the darkness. But now we are in the light, so we're supposed to walk as children of the light and expose the darkness. Like, like Andrea said, when you're in a dark room, you can't hide the light um, and do the things that are pleasing to the Lord. And in effort of trying to do things that please the Lord, we will be the light, whether we realize it or not. Um, so my question for you guys is, do you, have you had a time in your life where you um, were the salt or the light in something that was like really dark? And how did it go? Like, did it turn out well? Turn out bad? It's okay. I think, um, I think that a lot of you guys um, that I've talked to, you try really hard, like especially at school, I think, to be a light um, because that's a very dark place. I know a lot of you guys work at places that you don't have a lot of believers there and like or even like at home, like you don't have a lot of people at home that know the Lord. um, So like trying to be salt and light there. Um, And... um, the reason I asked if it went well or if it went poorly is because sometimes being salt and light is it doesn't go well. It's not like you'll be salt and light and then everyone around you becomes a Christian. Um, in fact, most of the time you'll be salt and light and everyone around you will not like you, which is like, what? Why? <laughs> um, so does being salt and light always guarantee that people will like you? And why? Why? Like, why won't they like you? I think, like, it, it doesn't, like, guarantee that people will like you. I mean, people may like you, but, like, they probably 
also won't. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it can be very like hard sometimes to be salt and light, but I think as long as like we trust in God through it all and continue mm. to like stay with Him and like keep in our like church communities and all that, yeah, be good. yeah, and encouraging one another yeah. too. I think that's like huge. Because we are, we're all supposed to be light. So if we're all encouraging each other to be light, it makes it easier to be light when you're in the darkness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, like this builds upon, like what, I, what Jesus is saying here in John 5, builds upon the Beatitudes, which is like right before it. I mean, I keep saying John, don't I? Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, I mean Matthew. <laughs> Someone should have told me. Bye, life. I said the wrong one. Um, just before the Beatitude that he ends with, um, in verse 11, or I guess 10 and 11, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then Jesus jumps right into saying you are the salt of the earth. And so it's like, it builds upon one another. It's like being salt and light will sometimes mean that someone says something about you that is not kind. Being salt and light sometimes means that you stick out so much that people don't want to invite you somewhere because they're afraid that, like, you know, they just don't want you there because they know that you don't do that kind of stuff. Um, Sometimes being salt and light means that you lose friends or that you lose family members. Um, But being salt and light is so worth it. It's eternally worth it because we're a part of the kingdom of God. This world is going to pass away. Um, And being salt and being light, no matter how hard it is, no matter how many people you lose in your life or how many people don't like you, it's worth it if one person sees your light and wants to come into the light. Um, it's worth it like a million times. Um, so the world is decaying, but the kingdom of God is alive, right? And the world is tasteless, but the people of God are the flavor. We're the salt. Um, and the world is dark, but God is the light. And we have this privilege of being part of it. And we have the answer, right? We have the gospel. We have, we have the key um, to what everyone else is looking for, what everyone else searches for in life. Um, and so um, we have this opportunity to live it out daily um, and encourage one another, like I said, and, and be with one another and pray over one another um, and encourage each other to keep being salt, keep being light, and it will always, always be worth it. Um, so, yeah, that is all I have. I'll pray for us. Oh, yes, go for it. So, we're talking about being salt and light. Mm. I also think it's equally as important to be able to see it. Mm. Because you could, you could fake being salt and light. You could convince yourself that you're being salt and light because you've you know, made a checklist and I'm being salt and light. Mm. You can't see it unless your heart is in the right place and your perspective is in the right place. So mm. if, you are, if, you, if you're not, if you're jealous, if you assume things about people, if, you, um, if you're just negative, or maybe even if you just, you just don't get what Christianity really is, you don't mm. get it what it does to a heart, you don't get it what it should look like in a life, you just, just don't get it for whatever reason, you just don't understand you're not going to be able to see it. You're going to look at a girl who's trying to be salt and light and be like, oh, no one's that happy. She's just faking it. Mm. Like, no one's that excited for other people. Like, She's just putting on an act. She's just like trying to people please everybody and be goody two-shoes. Like, mm. Nobody talks about God that way. Like, It's her yeah. job. Like, Her parents told her to. Or like, she's an SEA or you know, she's Riley. Like, It's her job. Like, She has to talk about it like that. You know? mm. And so if you've got all these things working against you and that's how you see people, mm. you're going to see a whole world of people who are fake who are, you know, not real, they're not genuine, they're not whatever. And then the moment they slip up, 
the moment they stumble, or even in the case of like a super happy girl, right? Just, and all of her joy is this unshakable joy that we've been talking about for the past several months. If she shows you a moment of sadness, a moment of weakness, a moment of vulnerability, immediately you're like, I told you, hmm. it's fake. It's not a real thing. Like, this is just fake. So you lose all understanding of what humans are, right? And you can't see the soul in the light. Hmm. And so if your heart hasn't changed, if your lifestyle hasn't changed, if you haven't done all of the changing, you can't see it. Hmm. And if you can't see it, yeah. are you really being it? Hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's scary that we can, like, trick ourselves into thinking yeah. like that we're doing everything right when sometimes we're missing the mark. Hmm. How would you say, like, we keep our hearts in check so that we don't slip into that? Notice it. Hmm. It's the second that you're like, if we're going to use you as an example because you know, this will not hurt you. <laughs> um, I'm on her. Riley's just like, <laughs> like, it's just great. She just talks about God like that because it's her job. She's literally getting paid. It's just, she's just like, it's just like a teacher. She's just like studying her textbook and telling us, right? Hmm. Yeah. That's totally what it is. The second that I feel like, I should be like, no, no, no. Riley loves the Lord. I've seen this. She's done these things for me. She's prayed in these ways for me. I've seen her do these things for Like, I can see in her life. I can see the proof. Like, that was wrong. Hmm. You just catch yourself every time. And eventually, and it takes far too long <laughs> so very long but eventually it becomes normal to notice the good things mm. and it becomes less normal to pick apart people and you just have, yeah. to, you just have to start by noticing it and start by actively wanting to stop mm. picking apart people and yeah and doesn't that it ties right back into the like beatitudes like blessed yeah. are the merciful for they shall receive mercy yep. so like having so much mercy for people for, for people that mess up or people that just need mercy like changes your heart Sorry to add a... No, I love it. Anyone else have a... (laughs) Yeah, I guess I should should ask that question. But, like, are there any other thoughts or, like, things that you guys are thinking of as we're reading this text? I think it kind of goes along with that. It it definitely doesn't matter where your heart is because your heart's in the right place. Even if you're having a bad day, you're going to want to find the salt and light in other people to hang out with them. Yeah, yeah. And to be able to be vulnerable with someone and say, I'm having a bad day and I can't Yeah, that's an interesting thought that we need, we as salt and light need salt and light. Like we're not self-sustaining saltiness and light. We need to be seasoned and to have light in our lives. I, I forget that. I like to be very like, I don't need anybody, but that's so false. <laughs> I need people. <laughs> yeah. Any other thoughts? I know a little bit ago we were kind of talking about um, like this being the salt and like the light kind of like guarantee you to mm. like to have others like you and I know at least in my own life the answer is a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> but um, one of one of my other friends from another church he constantly like just reminds me and my husband just to ask ourselves the question like is Jesus enough for you like mm. even if 
like you lose every one of your family members, all of your friends, like at the end of the day, just asking yourself like, is Jesus, Jesus himself, is he enough for me? And I know mm. like for me, that's really helped me like check where, where my heart is. Mm. Because if my heart is, you know, like, oh gosh, I don't know if I should say something. Yeah. Like, what do they think of, what would they think? Like, how would they react? Like, what if they just walk away? And I know, like, for me, like, if I, like, really pause and ask myself, like, okay, is Jesus enough for me? No matter how they respond, no matter what happens, is he enough? Hmm. And it's okay if the answer is no, and that's just going to, going to talk to the Lord and be like, hmm. why, why is the answer no? Like, why am I feeling this Yeah. Way? And just, you know? Yeah, just like a heart check. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, like, taking the time to ask that question is, like, so good because we forget that Jesus is enough so often. And I think that's where, like, our faith grows stronger, too. Like, when we lose those things, and we can, like, grieve them, but then at the end of the day, say that Jesus is enough, that's, like, where we get stronger. And where we truly get to see how close the Lord can be to us. Good stuff. Um, I can pray for us. And then we can eat donuts. (laughs) Um, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you so much for today and just for bringing back coffee and conversations after a little break and lord i just pray for all these women and the places that they go during the week and the things that they struggle with or the people that they they meet or that are in their lives lord would you help them be salt and light if they're discouraged today lord would they um get that salt and light from someone else and god would you just be um be with us and walk with us and um, help us be like moses who spent time with you and it just showed um so would you just give us a craving to be with you and to talk to you and to pray and to study your word and lord would you just work through us and remind us that we don't want to be salt and light for our own glory but we only want to do it for your glory lord um yeah so i just pray for your strength and your guidance and your wisdom and help us love one another and love others and love you you know me pray amen mm-hmm.